You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Hi, and welcome to The Compass, the podcast documenting the struggles of life as an artist. I'm Leah Walsh. I'm happy to be speaking with Stephanie Wright Thompson today. She is married to a very good friend of mine, Nick Choksi, and I have gotten to know her through him and to really value her friendship and her mature take on being an actor. She is also the co-artistic director of New York theater company, The Mad Ones, and in this episode we will talk a lot about their process of devising work and having that artistic home for themselves here in the city, as well as what she does to try to keep herself from going to the dark side. Um, There may be a few background noises, I'm still very much on the learning curve with all the audio equipment, but bear with me, and I hope you enjoy the second episode of The Compass. This is going to be on air, what we're doing right now. Maybe. Delicious dish. (laughs) Delicious. Sweaty balls. Mm. (laughs) Thank you for being here with me, Stephanie. Of course. I really appreciate it. Um, I'm going to start out with the tough question of what do you do when you feel yourself going to the dark side as an artist? Starting with the big one, mm-hmm. Leah. And then we'll go back. <laughs> and then we'll go back. <laughs> Cover all the bases. <laughs> um, I think first important to acknowledge what the dark side is for me. Because mm-hmm. um, I think it's different for everyone. And I think my dark side changes the older I get. What that feels like changes. Um, so, you know, for me at my age, I've been in the city now for 10 years, um, and pursuing this career in many different ways, but I think the dark side for me now feels, um, uh, stagnant, you know, the feeling of being completely, or either the the feeling of nothing is kind of the worst part of darkness, feeling like I've actually lost all the enthusiasm and inspiration that this thing needs to give me in order to keep going right that enthusiasm is gone um and then there's the kind of dark side that feels like um so much potential and so much opportunity and so many things aligning except for that one or two things that just can't push you to the other side and that kind of like frustration is still filled with all the enthusiasm and inspiration but there's so much frustration that it pushes you to the dark side right so I think the opposite of the dark side is that feeling of movement like feeling of progress that can be in like the smallest of ways as long as there is a feeling of some forward momentum I'm good (laughs) you know what I mean it can really be tiny right yeah like someone returning an email absolutely some feeler you put out in the universe like actually coming back to you yeah it can be pretty small um but the dark side comes in when there are those long periods of time or those like maybe it's not about time it's like how big of a um, expectation is broken. You know what I mean? That's what sends me there. Um, so what do I do when I go there? I mean, I think a lot of what I do is... Yeah, to try to get out of it or to try to... Try to prevent it, prevent right? It. That's the best way. coming on. Yeah. Um, you know, the, the dark side for me has been coming when, when my life is out of balance. And I think it's become so clear to me now. Or like, I, I've got it down to what feels like a mathematical formula of like... There's family, there's um, personal happiness and health, there's money, and then mm-hmm. there's my art, which are two separate things for me, or I've made the choice for them to be separate. So I've started to feel that like if I focus too much of my energy in one place, everything else falls apart. You know, so I've, I've 
this constant realignment is kind of what I'm working at. When I feel that dark side, I feel like, oh, I, I'm actually like unhealthy, physically unhealthy. What do I need to adjust? You know what I mean? So there's, there's kind of like recalculations happening when I'm going to the dark side. Sometimes it's as simple as like using my body. Sometimes it's as simple as actually like investing in a new medium. You know, I think especially when I was younger, I was so single focused on theater mm-hmm. that I actually like, I, I couldn't see anything anymore. You know, I, I like had lost all inspiration because it was like my lens on what was interesting was actually way too tight. So sometimes when I go to the dark side, it's actually like reinvesting in things like my family or like getting involved in a podcast or getting involved in things that used to feel like a distraction are now actually so mm-hmm. beneficial to pulling me out of the dark side and re-inspiring me. Um, you know, another one of the preventative things and I didn't know it at the time was starting to create my own work uh, mm-hmm. with my theater company and again that that started as like pursuing something impulsively with people that I loved um, but then turned into oh there are so many opportunities to um, have agency and authorship um, that that has prevented a lot of the dark sides that used to come to me you brought up your theater company, and that's mm-hmm. a big thing that I want to talk about. How did that come about? I know, where did you go to college? I went to my undergrad at a place called Wright State University, which is okay. a conservatory program in Ohio. And then I know you started your theater company, The Mad Ones, from when you were apprenticing at the Actors Theater of Louisville. Right, right. right. Okay. And that was right after school. For me, it was right after school, right. but my um, company members are from... Uh, apprentice companies from other years either okay. prior to my own or after I mine I didn't know that yeah it's kind of this so how did it start then um the two guys in my company who were apprentices the year prior to my apprenticeship they had come down when I was an apprentice and saw me in a show we befriended each other and then when I moved to the city they kind of became brotherly to me we would work together on other people's shows mm-hmm. um and so when we would work together as actors we we gelled very well and we lived like three blocks away from each other. That's that's always nice. Proximity like makes right, you better friends. Of course. Um, and we uh, started talking about the things we wanted to see on stage. And so we like loosely brainstormed and then walked away from that piece of paper for a few months. And um, the the two company members had gone away and and written a piece that was not yet finished. It was it was half developed and submitted it to a festival. And to our their surprise, it was um, accepted. And I was brought in to perform it. We then reached out to some apprentices from that year, which was, I think, the 2008 year. My um, company members, uh, Michael and Lila, came onto the pro- project, and we developed it from there. So it was very much one production in mind. So we just pursued mm-hmm. one production. We were interested in it, and we thought that was it. We were not pursuing a company. Right. And then when that piece did well or we were asked to do it again and again, then it turned into a, a commitment that we actually became interested in. That's how it began. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, there's a lot of questions I want to talk about, but um, let's stay on that track for a little bit. Whatever other ups and downs you've had as an actor in New York City, you've now had for how many years this artistic community that you've created for yourself with the Mad Ones? This is the start of our sixth year. Six years, yeah. Yeah. And you've been in New York for 10 years. Yeah. And I think that's so amazing to have somewhere where you're in, you are in control you're in charge or as a company right to make your own work no matter what anyone else is giving you permission to do or not do yeah it makes you more 
courageous, I think. It makes yeah. you not it makes you not sweat the time in between. You always feel like you're working or incubating or doing something right, productive. And that you're gonna have something to work on. Yeah. And with I, people that you trust and people you respect, even yeah. if this audition doesn't go well or the audition doesn't come or Yeah. And it also changes the way you do walk into a room when you're auditioning. And I think it mm-hmm. totally changed the way I thought about authorship of my own character. Meaning when I was given the pen to kind of write my own character that reminded me, it's not something that was actually new information, but like reminded me and empowered me that when I do step into somebody else's play, um, where the playwright has given me the words, and it's such a luxury to have a playwright give me words, it is still my job to author my character with the information that I have. But I think I'm much bolder now than I was mm-hmm. before. Um, because that is still my job. I think some, I think it happens often with younger artists, but there is a feeling that you are trying to do what is right for what that playwright wants, what that director wants, what that teacher wants. And I think by empowering myself as the author of my own character, I reminded myself that like my physical body in that space, making those choices is part of the authoring of that character. And so I feel like I became a better craftsman by having to create my own characters with my theater company. That's so interesting. So even when you encounter a character in a like let's say a classic play. Mm-hmm. I have an audition coming up for all my sons. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm thinking about that. Right. Like if you were to audition for something like that, how would you approach it with this idea of authorship? I mean, the way we create some of our characters um, for our play, our plays, um, and it changes every time we write a play, how we create it, you know, depends on what we're interested in. But often it starts with character. You know, there's so many of the company members are actors first. Mm -hmm. Um, So we kind of start with character instead of plot. So some of the things we do to find interesting character, character traits, you know, all the kind of backstory work you might have done as homework, we kind of, we start in that place. So, so now when I'm preparing for an audition, I think I, my homework is much deeper now, actually. Mm than it used to be. I think I'd walk into a room and as long as I was memorized and I generally knew what I was going after and I was going to be charming when I was in the room, I had done my job. Right. And now I'm developing that character the way I would if I was going to fully stage it or write about it. You know what I mean? I I know those are my words that I have to say, but all my intention now, I feel that I have much more command over because I'm authoring the subtext of it. I'm authoring what my body is telling somebody. And I think my understanding of that came when I was writing my own work and kind of cultivating this third eye that has to come when you're writing your own work. So how, what is that process for you guys? Are you writing, are you kind of charged with your character? Are you all looking at the entire plot and the entire script and writing it together? Or all is it of like exercise based? I'm so curious. Oh, it's all of the above. Um, <laughs> you, it often starts with group think, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And then it kind of goes back and forth between an individual having total command of their character and then having to give it away, and then a group has to think about it. I mean, like, we're constantly toggling between um, uh, when are you too possessive of something and when do you need to let it go for the sake right. of the peace. So that's not working. Right, so we have exercises in place to be like, we're getting a little too possessive, it's time to pass off that character or that scene, you know, so we have those things in place. I mean, ultimately what has proven true it's proven true in the last um three pieces and i'm sure it will continue to prove true is at a certain point there are too many voices in the room and in order to um for consistency's sake one or two people kind of take over the editing of the script right so the editing of your character ultimately everybody's original impulses that ended up on that page for that character 
um, that that actor still stays like the prime decider of what their character will be in the piece. But we we have writer's room, like three quarters of the way through the process, we become a writer's room. And there's a lot mm-hmm. of talking, right? So there's a lot of talking at the beginning. There's a lot of doing in the middle where we're generating material and coming up with ideas. And then we sit and think a lot and do a lot of writer's room. And then we go away and usually get back up on our feet and remind ourselves of our impulses but refine them. So we're, we try, we're trying to be very good at not creating those things and refining those things at the same time. Those are, right. those are the things that like two separate steps, two separate steps because we, we can talk ourselves into or out of anything that we do. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, I mean, this is certainly true for me and I think true for my company is that we try to trust our impulses and instincts more than our brains, um, mm-hmm. that our bodies are a lot smarter sometimes than what we could, um, dream up. And do you always do that work with the member of your company who's the director, or do you do that kind of just as an ensemble, and then she'll come in later and shape it? Um, I mean, uh, our director is definitely there for the entire process. Um, You know, the longest part of the process is actually deciding what the piece will be about. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't know if that's unusual for other um, devised theater ensembles, but we'll take six to nine months to just decide what we will make it about because there's going to be so much playtime getting there. It could be anything. It could be anything. Right. Um, so we play around a lot and listen to as many different things as we can and see as many things as we can and really start to catalog what's interesting and connect the dots. So sometimes in that period, we call that the extracurricular time, we might be away on our own corner um, compiling things that we're interested about so that per- so our director is not necessarily curating that process, but then is always up to date on what is happening so she can kind of synthesize and, and connect those dots See for where us. where it's coming from. And- right. So she's always, always a part of that process. Right. So it seems like such a rich community and outlet for you to have this company and to be in control of the stories you want to tell and the, the stage you want to give yourself. But what are some of the... I know that's not your entire world mm-hmm. as an actor you guys aren't constantly working you all have or have other irons in the fire and you're doing other things what are the frustrations you find with trying to build a life as an actor outside of that company oh my god you know the dance of having that company and having a freelance life and for me I also have a day job to sustain myself mm-hmm. um uh, you know, the enemy of time, you know, it's, yeah. it's nearly impossible to get all of, you know, and all of the members of my company are also freelance artists, very, very busy directors, actors, everything. Um, so just to have the theater company, uh, come together and have time to make work together is challenging enough. Right. And then I've, especially in the last two or three years, really prioritized the company's work over other freelance work. Mm-hmm. So then when something comes along and doesn't gel with that, like, you know, that golden two weeks we had like planned together six months in the future. If that freelancing comes up right in that window, it's, it can be heartbreaking. Of course, because it happens to everybody, everybody is very, very flexible, but it's a constant clash of of schedules. You don't want to be the one who's like messing up this plan. Of course, of course. And I think for actors too, often these opportunities come so late in the game. If we could plan everything six months or a year in advance, it would be a different, we would have control, but there's such a lack of control in everything we do. Um, And and giving up of that control is just like, you know, the chapter of my life that will never end, you know? Yeah. It's so difficult. Mm -hmm. How, I know that you've moved recently from part-time to full-time at your day job, Mm -hmm. which is an office job. Yes. You don't have to say what company or whatever, but... What was that decision like, and what has it been like since you made that move? 
because I am so seduced by that idea yeah. to have the stability of a full-time job, but also you're giving up the flex some of the flexibility. And yeah. What has that been like? I mean, it's really terrifying. It's really terrifying. And I think, you know, from where I sit now, it's not as terrifying because I've been doing it. But certainly when I was making that decision, there's a little bit of also an identity crisis that comes with it too. Right. Knowing that you're giving up so much of your time to something that you're not necessarily passionate about mm-hmm. isn't an, it can be an identity crisis. And it was a little bit for me, but it, then I've been doing, you've been full time now for six months for about six months. Yeah. yeah. Um, so it, it did cause a little bit of a, a, a identity crisis that, um, I think I've been working through for a few months probably, but it also came at a time where, I've been reevaluating what is important to me. I mean, I think I'm in, in, the, in the chapter of my life of refining things. Mm-hmm. So when I started in the city, it was, it was just do everything, see everything, know everybody. If I amass enough experiences and contacts, something will pan out. And I think the truth is with that, everything becomes a little diluted. I think it's, I am not as compelling of a person or as satisfied as a person with all of those things in the air. Right. So in taking a full-time job with the comfort of the benefits and things, I think it's because I'm working towards refining what I want my personal life to be. And I only recently, you know, I'm recently married. Yes. And I want to have a family. And those things cannot happen or were not happening with my artistic life. And so instead of um, being disappointed about it, I feel like I decided to be proactive as best as I could and do it in a way I also, I don't think I would do it if I didn't feel like I was at a company that was as incredibly supportive as they are. And I work with a lot of friends who are also artists. So it helps. That's really special because I know like I've been contemplating that same kind of shift. Like, do I want to value stability and financial stability over the flexibility for the invisible audition or whatever? But the fact that you were already working at that company before you moved it to full time. Mm -hmm. I think that is a difference as opposed to like, if I were to do that, I would be moving from this part-time job to some new environment that happened to be a full-time office right. job or something. If I were to looking for that new full-time money job or right. something and make right. that the priority. Right. I mean, but what has come, like I was saying with the kind of mathematical formula of there's art, there's money and sustainability, there's personal happiness and there's my family. Like a lot of things have suffered. You know, I'm not having time with my family or losing sleep or Mm -hmm. not having time for the art. Or when I get to that rehearsal after, you know, a nine hour day, I'm spent, you know what I mean? So I'm still constantly trying to dial what that is or take control of my time a little bit more at work or really dedicate time at work to working on other things on my lunch hours and things like that. I've become, and it's something that I I'm fighting against, but I've become highly regimented in my schedule, you know, like trying to fit things into every nook and cranny that I can. And I think like that has an expiration date on it for yeah. sure. I think, I think it's really admirable in a lot of ways, but you're right. You can only keep it up so long. Yeah. And I before think you're exhausted, exhausted. And I think yeah. I often am. Um, but I feel like I've been feeling like that's worth it. There is something I'm working towards and I feel like I know that I see a light at the end of that tunnel right. and for better or worse, I've often, in the last 10 years, I've done the day job thing for a year and a half. And then, um, you know, the company might dissolve 
And then mm-hmm. I'm like off for a year and a half and I'll travel and do all of my theater work. And then I'll take another day job for another year. And then it Has kind it of like. mostly like office type I have things? mostly done Not office like work. like restaurant or whatever? I haven't. I feel like. There's like different zones to actor day jobs. <laughs> there are. Worlds. I've always. there. <laughs> I've always taken the day job route. Yeah. I don't know if it feels there is something um, that helps me counterbalance the the energy of of auditioning in the theater life to be in a place that's like organized and pretty yeah and especially if um it allows me time to do some of the work for my theater company that I can then Mm -hmm. then I'm going to do that you know I think like that energy has actually been kind of allowed me to be a little more sustainable in my life too I'm also not a late night person you know what I mean either I we Frankie and I were both trying to work on my husband Frankie (laughs) <laughs> um, we were both trying to work in auditions last night and it was after 9 p.m. and I was just like I'm not getting anywhere with this I need to get up early start over in the morning right and he was willing to stay up for several more hours and work at night and I was like it's just not my time yeah it's not my time to be productive <laughs> <laughs> I need to start fresh in the morning yeah I'm done with this day I want to relax yeah I feel like yeah. that has that's become a part of what I've started saying no to I think I think like I've started to realize how many things or how many things were not exceptional in my life and like just started to get rid of them, whether that's like mm. things or people or just like the way my body feels. Like if if I don't feel as wonderful as I can, there's something that needs to go or to be changed. Do you feel like that's something that's just happened organically and you're like, oh, I need to do this. I need to get rid of these things. Or was there some event that gave you the permission to do that? Mm. I mean, I or think you felt like oh, I'm allowed, I'm allowed to not do these things. You know, I don't know if I could point to one singular event or one rite of passage or anything. I think like every birth or death or trauma or tragedy, there's like a great reset button that happens. And I think I've had, like anyone, I've had enough in the last 10 years to have enough resets to finally be like, you know, I, I don't want to look back at my life and feel like I've, I've squandered my time or my energy. Right. So I think there have certainly been things that had made me step back and say, I don't need to be attached to that thing. This thing is purely a distraction. And I think like that's been part of becoming more self-reflective as I get older, is to actually finally be cognizant of the things that are genuine distractions. And like to not just be um, understand what I want and what I feel, but actually like look back at my own behavior and see that, I might not even be aware of what I really want because I can't mm-hmm. see my own behavior. So I feel like I've that has grown in me, which has allowed letting go of these things to be much, much easier. And so, so important. I value letting go of something now, you know? Yeah. How Do you have any other artists in your family? No, none. None at all? No. I, I have some cousins who are musicians, but certainly my immediate family, no. When did it start for you? I started as a dancer. Um and I certainly thought I'd be a dancer until I decided to go to school and felt like I needed to diversify to make myself more marketable. And thank God, <laughs> and thank God, thank God I thought that because right. then I understood that underneath like the joy of dancing is, is like the, the actual craft of storytelling. And so mm-hmm. I got very invested in being an actor and I did a lot of musicals too. I did a lot of musical theater, but really I became so engaged as an actor. And I think I also wanted to redefine myself a little bit. I think... Right. There was like leave some, home and have yeah. a new chapter. And also I wanted to redefine um, what I was as an artist. For some reason, psychologically or sociologically, being a dancer didn't feel like there was enough heft to it. 
-hmm. in some way. And I certainly feel differently about that now because I've encountered so many brilliant dance narrative artists who I think their storytelling is just like absolutely profound and joyous like the kind of dance absolutely in high school or whatever exactly Mm -hmm. but I think like the push away from dancing actually helped to redefine what I'm interested in and who I am does your is it difficult for you to have conversations with your family about what this life is as a Mm -hmm. working artist (laughs) because I know it's I mean it would be easy to it would be easy to explain if you were working all the time on a set and doing a Broadway play and making your living from it. But is it like Mm. the balance of having a fulfilling artistic life, but also needing to work full time at the same time? Like, is that something they accept and understand or has it been kind of a journey with them? I think my parents have always been so wonderful at letting me pursue what I want to pursue as hard as I want to pursue it and to kind of let me do it. Never did I have a stage mom. Never did I have parents mm. who were too concerned. They let me make my mistakes within reason, making sure I was safe. But it, it, it has never been a difficult conversation because I think genuinely my parents want me to be happy. I think there is an unspoken safety that comes with me having this day job. You know, I think like I've proven to them time and time again that I'm able to like save my money and not be living right. on the streets. And so they've, they've had some proof you know, to, to convince themselves that, that I'm going to make it. And, and I think um, there's a kind of joy and pride in seeing me make my own work. I think that unto itself has been like, she knows how to create opportunities for herself. Have they gotten to come to the city and see a lot they of have. your work with the company? They have. Um, yeah, my mother has. Um my, I, you know, my family is not close to New York City. My sister right. lives thousands and thousands of miles away. I hope she will get to see the work, but is always like very proud to read about the articles in the paper. You know, that's that's how my family from afar connects to what I'm doing. You know, whatever periodical I'm in, that has value. You know, in a real way that's like shareable to the people in their communities, and that's right. like I think probably so important for how our families must try to right. relate they to what be we're able doing. To tell their friends something. What you're up to? Yeah, I don't. I don't think. Any, any of my friends from home who are not artists and family, I think, like, it makes no sense to them to pursue what we pursue with very little financial, you know, reciprocation, you know, like, mm-hmm. emotional, you know. I think, like, sometimes it, from the outside and sometimes from the inside, feels like an abusive relationship in some way. And so it's confounding to people to continue to pursue it, you know. Um, I don't think it's been a difficult conversation with my parents ever since I... Never was it, but certainly now that I have a day job, I think there's some kind of, like, peace with my family. Yeah, I mean, that's always the biggest concern is, like, can you pay your bills? Can you pay your bills? (laughs) I just want to know that you're not going to, like... Yeah. I wonder if if my parents are more concerned than they let on. I don't know. Who knows? I don't know. (laughs) I really don't know. I think... uh, the conversations come up a few times. They might be really good at hiding it. They might be just like <laughs> wonderful actors. Maybe, maybe. That's maybe. Where you get it from. <laughs> I don't know. Now, now I feel like I want to call them and say, do, you, "Do I keep you up at night?" And you just don't tell me. Um, this is really personal, but I'm in the same boat. But what is it like for you being married to another actor? Hmm. I mean. So, yeah. Only say as much as you want to. But yeah. Well, I'll say all the things and then you'll edit what is, what is appropriate. (laughs) I mean, there's, uh, 
there are things that are just invaluable about somebody understanding the kind of lifestyle and the kind of like passion but not but lack of reward that somebody yeah. you know I think like that's invaluable um it's so crazy this thing we we're trying to do and so yeah to have someone who knows why you're trying to do it is yeah it's and has really... like a deep understanding of it not just a I support you go get them kid but a really like a deep understanding of not just um the successes of booking a job but the successes of like developing your craft you know what I mean that's like to have a nuanced understanding of that is so important I mean like so much of what theater can do to us is is like I feel like there's a constant need for good reason because we we don't have paychecks reflecting the work that goes into something to like remind us that what we do is valid you know what I mean it's it's not always a given so I think to have a partner who does the same thing there there is an understanding of the validity of the thing you do the importance of the thing you do that it isn't for vanity so I think like that is invaluable it also of course comes with you know when they're working and you're not it comes with that kind of feeling of like overjoyed yeah it comes with like total enthusiasm for their success but this also feeling of like I want to be either doing that project with you or doing something else so we should both be doing it um (laughs) of course um so so it comes with that it also comes with like all the scheduling things that I was talking about with my theater company oh oh, no you're going to do that job but I I don't have a job at that point you know and then by the time you get back I have a job yeah you know sometimes I'm going to work nine to six and then my husband is going to his work his show from six to eleven you know and I don't see him so with that understanding also comes like all the troubles of having somebody who is a part of this industry um and I think I think a lot of people, I think, like, have, I mean, I'm, I'm trying to, like, dig into, like, the very personal things now and see if what's worth sharing. I know for me and Frankie, it's an odd thing because it's, like, we're very different places in our careers right yes. now. But we're experiencing the exact same things. Yes. The exact same frustrations with lack of control and lack of agency over our time and our space and it's funny how you think that like I think oh if I had all these auditions sure my life would be so much better right he has all the auditions and he feels completely out of control and that he doesn't have a life and that right you know who knows if they'll lead to anything and Uh, yeah I don't know I don't know if there's like bliss and being able to commiserate to have somebody (laughs) I think it does it helps to have somebody who understands what you're going through yeah and who accepts it yeah but also I think with that kind of understanding, I think sometimes, I mean, and this is something as I get older, I try to do less and less is to kind of um, seek consultation from everyone else but myself. Mm-hmm. And so because my partner is so understanding and knows the ins and outs, I kind of rely on them sometimes to give me answers that I, I have to make myself. So it becomes, mm-hmm. it can become too much of a safety for making bold choices for myself too you know so I think both of us um respect and are so grateful for the kind of consultation we can get with somebody who is such an expert um but also it can be a danger in that way meaning they're they're not um they're you know profoundly subjective you know what I mean Mm. um so 
I think that objectivity that you would hope for in consultation so that you're really making a good choice for you is kind can be kind of impossible and ultimately yeah um, when it's that intimate of a relationship it's like yes they know you so well that they can give you that advice but it's also they're so invested in your well-being absolutely in your well-being and also like I mean, it would be so wrong of me to think that when I'm giving advice to my husband, I'm not thinking, well, what am I getting out of this? You know, like, <laughs> should you take that job? Uh, right. You know, I'm thinking about how much time will I get to spend with right. you? Or is right. that actually better for your artistic life? Will that because make you happier? A, well, yeah. And they're extreme questions because you, you're valuing your relationship, but they're also just the nature of this business is it's going to ask you to make these extreme choices where you're away for six months. Right. At one point, Frankie and I were away from each other long distance for a year. Right. Like just ridiculous things that should not be normal. Right. But we've chosen that path and that's what it is. Right. And then you deal with it. Right. I've I've been trying to become a a very skilled um, responder to these questions of what should I do? I really try to check myself. Am I, am I thinking for myself right now? Am I really right. asking the questions that my partner needs? Right. And I think that's, it's pretty it hard, hard to do. It can be hard. Yeah. Of course. But of course, when opportunities come in this business, they're so rare that if, right. if it hap- if they have the opportunity, of course you want them to take advantage, but it can be difficult for your relationship. Of course. And I think, you know, my husband and I, you know, speaking to you and Frankie being in different places of your career, but like emotionally or psychologically going through the same thing, I think, Mm -hmm. you know, my husband and I are still, both of us, I think, struggle. So many of my friends struggle with making themselves too busy or feeling like they must say yes for the sake Mm -hmm. of saying yes, because there is that fear of missing out. That is that one opportunity. And of course, we're saying yes or no to something based on, you know, what may or may not happen in the future. You know, sometimes it's important, you know, or we've talked about, is it important to say no to a job just because you know another job is coming up two months down the road that is going to take you out of town for so long. So you need quality time, you know, in the upcoming weeks. You know, you're you're weighing things that you can never know. You're kind of doing it in theory, weighing these things. Yeah, there's no certainty. Mm Mm-mm. No, God, if if all of this was just math, it'd be so easy. If yeah. everything was like actually able to be measured, it would be so easy. But none of it is measurable because your metrics change constantly with like mm-hmm. how your emotional um, involvement with it constantly changes as you yeah. grow older, as like your needs change. Are there any like um, places in the city or books or music that you turn to? when you find yourself in that dark place like that mm. that you reread or you re-listen to or things that like draw you out of that place um every time i go see uh dance in the city yes i'm i'm re-inspired every time every time whether it's good or bad it is and i th- actually don't think it's just because it's um you know a vocabulary i understand there is a kind of exuberance from having to move your body that is completely unthinking Mm -hmm. and and I think it makes me the most present to watch dance work and of course when I go see uh, incredible plays where the acting is so present and the writing is so impeccable like that experience happens but I think to really pull myself out of something I I do go see dance and it pulls me out of it every time Sir, we could talk about Pima Chodron right here. (laughs) Great segue. So you and your husband, Nick, recommended to me this book when I was going through it with acting, When Things Fall Apart by Mm -hmm. Pima Chodron. Yeah. Um, And I'm only halfway through it, but 
What are your impressions so far? I mean, it's a very, it's a, a Buddhist mm-hmm. book. Yes. It's very philosophical. But I already, I think it, it speaks a lot to me about fear and channeling fear and these moments when you feel completely helpless. And I think Nick told me like just like a change in perspective mm-hmm. about what you're dealing with when you're in those moments of not knowing what to do or feeling completely lost. Right. I mean, the book came to me at a moment of feeling very lost. And I mm. think after three or four people telling me to read the book, I was like, I get it. I get right. the point. I'm already reading it. it too slowly. I should, I should <laughs> yeah, have already yeah. finished it. I've been putting it off. But. Yeah. And so, so my expectations were also high. Like, is this going to change my life? And it kind of did. I mean, it did. Yeah. It, it kind of made me comfortable with not having a point of reference, which is what it always feels so important to know how you measure up and where you are, but kind of having to let go of like understanding where you're headed and, and then really seeing where the distractions in your life are and to smell your fear, you know, more intently and to actually like look at your fear a little bit instead of saying like, I see you and I'm going to go over here and I'm going to distract myself and I'm going to be really productive right now. (laughs) That, that is, um, maybe you're, you're not actually just confronting it or saying the thing that is on the tip of your tongue, you know? So I think that book, that's valuable to like live in it. Yeah. To not run away from that feeling actually. Yeah. 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 I'm excited about it. I'm excited to finish the book. I'm not there yet. (laughs) Um, yeah, there's a, there's a lot of hope in that idea of like, okay, it's okay to be where you are, where you don't know what's happening. You don't know where to go next. You feel cut down. Yeah. And not only is it okay, but it's like encouraged to sit there for a while. There is something so, um, uh, so invaluable about the process of being, um, unhappy, discontented, feeling like there's injustice in the world, like to sit right there in that and then look at that. I think that book made me feel, um, empowered to kind of like go right into the face of those things and then to completely remove the things that are unnecessary Pretty unapologetically and pretty care. I mean, just but not un- to pretend that it's not happening. Absolutely, whatever it is you're dealing with. Like, yeah, yeah, that it's there and it's okay to acknowledge it. Mm-hmm. Are there other books that you reread in your life? Or are you a big reader? I, I think, am- don't mean to project this on you. That's a big thing for me. So I feel like I'm like searching for. I'm. I'm not. If I, I That's think okay. I always want to be. Yeah. I think. That's okay. I'm not though. I read a lot of plays. I think when I do mm-hmm. read, I almost only read nonfiction. Hmm. Um, I think the podcast has become my new book. Um, It's so addictive. It is. Um, So I think, especially in the last five years, I feel like reading is not something I do daily or even weekly. Do you listen to the Mark Maron podcast? I don't. You don't? No. I just listened to one today, and I'm I'm just going to see where this takes us, but I listened to one with Amber Tamblyn. I know that name. She's this young actor. She was a child actor. She's married to David Cross from Arrested Development. Yeah, yeah. Um, she was in like the Sisterhood of the Traveling Pants and things. And I, I didn't know really much about her before listening to this podcast. But she just came out with this book of poetry that's all about... She's about our age. And she's a, it's all about actresses who died or ended their own lives before the age of 40 and she grew up in LA like it's a very different experience than what we are having um but it's these poems about these women's lives or the circumstances or what 
she imagined and also some like fake stories that she imagined but part of the interview was so (laughs) it kind of stood out to me I was like oh like because these things we're talking about and these frustrations we have like it scares me that maybe it could go to that extreme for some people and the stories that she's telling are more kind of like the overload of fame and acceptance that happened to people young and that kind of thing but these same dark side experiences or these feelings of unfulfillment yeah in myself I don't think they would ever go there but I could I can see the path yeah this depression that this kind of thing can lead to and the frustration yeah of putting yourself out there over and over again and not getting any feedback like yeah it was scary I connected to this (laughs) conversation they had of course and she like beautifully like had this outlet that she made it into this book for herself like some of these things that she felt herself and things she's um observed in the community around her but I was like ooh, it is terrifying I mean and that's partly why I want to have these conversations is like it's better I don't want to just talk about it yeah talk about it yeah no matter what decision it leads to you making like whether you leave the industry or stay with it or have another job and make your art on the side, like right. it's better just to talk about it than to yeah. hold it up inside and have something negative come out of it. And so um, I feel like only recently has it, maybe not only recently, just like recently for me has it become more prevalent, especially female actors coming out and speaking about the experience and the hardships of doing this under a different kind of um, criterion than men. Yeah. And I feel like it's been useful, not just to complain or commiserate the injustices of it, but to make myself cognizant of going too far into the dark side. Yeah. To say, right, that it is there. Other people would experience it. And then you can make... You're not imagining it. You're not imagining it at all. This is hard. Yeah. the deck might be stacked against you. Yeah. I don't know. I was thinking about that. Hmm, I feel like I need to I need to listen to that podcast. Put it on my bookshelf. All the podcasts. We're gonna listen to all the podcasts. All the podcasts. I'll listen to this podcast too. <laughs> I feel like I should mention with um my theater company another mm-hmm. wonderful thing that came about is not just because we needed to make money, but certainly we saw it as a way to kind of expand what we were doing beyond, you know, the production we were able to create and produce every year and a half or so. We started doing um, education, which has been so fulfilling for me. So we initially started going back to the institution where we all met or were connected through Actors Theater of Louisville. And the kind of joy of teaching other people and the kind of self-reflective, that happens when you have to articulate your processes and your how to communicate and how to cultivate your taste and judgment Mm -hmm. all of those things ultimately just improve who you are and I think I'm just endlessly fascinated and curious about the process of educating people on how to make new work you know what I mean it's like nearly an impossible thing to do it's like it's so suited only to the people making it um and I feel like it's been such a gift to um, be asked to teach at these places and constantly find new tools for ourselves and the go experiment with other people. And then we kind of learn something from them and we take it back. You know, I think our, our company is one that 
steals and observes from everywhere we can and then makes our own tools and you know like misremembers them which is always a gift to like make up what you think something is and then give it away to somebody else and then take it back and adjust it again I feel like it's been such a gift to go teach what ages do you usually end up teaching is it usually college age or is it younger um most of the people we've been hired um most of the institutions we've been at have been people in their undergrad and older I have, there have been a few, I think there's been uh, a couple of high school and one um, middle school that I taught this year. Um, But, you know, especially devising is such a challenging thing to do. It it was, it was an interesting experiment to be with high school and junior high kids. Um, How many people do you usually have in a group for that? um, Because that's huge too, like trying to decide on which idea are you pursuing, which story are you telling? Right, 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 right. Um, you know, some of our workshops have as many as 30 people. Sometimes wow. it's six. You know, and usually we do break them into much smaller groups because the act of even making a decision with one other person can be challenging. Mm-hmm. Um, but we, we force them to do it. You know, you know, I think there's <laughs> like, um, again, because our process changes for every project, we don't often dictate how they put it together. We give them ideas and ask them a lot of questions. But really, we're allowing usually actors to step into the role of, kind of wearing Creators. 10 hats. Yeah. yeah. I'm going to be an actor, director, generator. What was the first time that you taught, quote unquote, taught that? What was that like? Um, you know, it's one thing to teach as one person. It's another thing to teach with several people because you have to be so, I think, unified in mm-hmm. what you think the pedagogy of the thing you're doing is. So the first time was scary. It's scary to, God, you could be a phony and they could smell it on you right away. And because also we were younger and like the difference in age is not very great, you know, and they're just out of their conservatories. You think, well, they have all this training. What are we, how are we going to enlighten these people? But the truth is that experience is just about them and what they're learning about each other. You know, it's so much group building and learning how to communicate and like learning how to reflect back on the things you want to improve and the things you want to keep about yourself and like guiding that process for them. So it's not about lecturing. It's not about actually like blowing their minds with this tool you came up with. It's about this is how you do it. No, yeah. It's, it's about making them aware of themselves and, the, and, and helping them cultivate their own curiosity and helping them build their boxes that they're then going to push against, you know? So that's been like, um, a very surpri- not surprising. I think like there was something that felt very intuitive about it from a younger age when I used to teach, but not in the same capacity, I think. Um, but teaching with this company, this particular skill of creating as a group has been so, so inspiring for us. And it's been a great way for our company to expand and be a little more sustainable as an actual company. And I think it's also so valuable to take, take the focus off of yourself. Oh yeah. As an actor. Yeah. And put it somewhere else. It just makes you learn different things, makes you open your eyes in a different way. I mean, that's, that is, that is also the way of, um, taking myself away from the dark side is, is just being less self-focused and way more focused on forces outside of me Yeah, is an instantaneous way to bring myself out of myself always, whether it's teaching, whether it's charity, whether it's even something in my day job, inspiring other people around me on their day to day lives, like Mm -hmm. all of those things immediately take them take the dark side out of me yeah you know do you have any hobbies hobbies 
I have no time for hobbies, Leah. I know you don't, but I just randomly decided <laughs> to ask you that. <laughs> I'm curious. I want to know. I mean, I think like I'm trying to make a hobby. Um, I feel like I spent so much of my 20s not having enough time to do the very simple things like cooking a meal or traveling a bit. Mm-hmm. And I feel like living my life has been my hobby right. for the like past having, few years. Having a daily life that you're yeah. excited about. <laughs> yeah. And it's really, really new for me. It's good though. So it? it's been a really fun hobby. It's been a really fun hobby. Yeah. Um, but one that I'm just at the beginning at, to be Do you, honest. Is there anything you've seen in the last month or two that you want to recommend? Any shows or pieces? Um, well, I know Alejandro spoke of John. Yes. But I, but is, it well? is the most recent thing I've seen mm-hmm. and I was I was really blown away with it I think I'm I am such a fan of Annie Baker's work and I think it takes a kind of patience that's not for everyone but I think there is the craftsmanship of her plays and her writing and I think um how John was directed was just like pretty impeccable and I think it worked on so many levels so many like wonderful moments of mystery but so many just like absolutely um familiar emotional dynamics that were like playing on me so so beautifully Mm. um i recommend that i recommend that i definitely walked away talking about it for a very long time guys i'm sorry (laughs) you're gonna have five more interviews we're all gonna gonna recommend it. it and i i still need to see it um another show i've seen i saw this winter a couple times i am I'm a big fan of Monica Bill Barnes Dance Company. Okay. I've seen a show that they've been workshopping called Happy Hour a few times now. And they're I think they're so, so inspiring. It's it's two women who work so beautifully together and they're they're so much more than dancers. They're these beautiful silent clowns. Mm. And their their work is so so silly and so fun and exuberant, but so profound too at the same time. So I think that's something that stayed with me um, in the past few months that I've seen more than once. And I think they're doing it again coming up soon. I think they're going to do it up at Space at Ryder oh. Farm. Yeah. Oh, I would love to see them. That yeah. sounds amazing. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for talking with me. Sure. I really appreciate it. I'm sure. so inspired by the artistic life you've created for yourself. I think it's amazing. Thanks, Leah. I hope you teach me everything you're learning. <laughs> <laughs> to the compass podcast i'm leah walsh more episodes are coming soon please look for us on facebook and itunes i'd like to thank the following people for their generosity the compass cover art is by kim miller music by brendan spieth audio assistance from nick choksi and a special thanks to frankie j alvarez see you next time Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work 
or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E dot org because only together we rise. 